Welcome to Shiloh Church. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you are in the Jacksonville, Florida area, please join us for worship or watch our services online at shiloh.church. Thank you. Word and make your way to 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 9 will be our text for the morning. While you're making your way there, let me mention, as I have in our earlier services, what a special day this is for me. Every Lord's Day is a blessed day. Um, it's good to be in God's house. It's also, I'm sentimental about Memorial Day weekend. Seven years ago this weekend, I preached in this pulpit for the first time as a guest preacher, so I'm grateful to God for his sustaining grace. I told the church earlier that I think the leaders were hedging their bets by uh, having me to come on an off Sunday on the holiday weekend just in case I couldn't preach. Uh, and I ain't mad at him. That's the right thing to do. Uh, and I came just, really, there was on my heart to say a word of encouragement. And that was my only agenda. But we have our plans, but God orders our steps. And I praise the Lord for privilege. I just wanted to say that I publicly to you. I love you and I thank God for the privilege of being your pastor. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the blessings of this day, the privilege of corporate public worship of Jesus Christ. And for your word that is the centerpiece of our worship, we, we cannot know you or your son without your self-revelation to us in the scriptures. So, Lord, we pray that you would ready our hearts for this most important time as we consider together the wisdom of your word. Would you help your people to hear the word today as it truly is, not the words of man, but the word of the living God. Use me to be a mouthpiece for the text. Guide my thoughts, govern my words, guard my heart so that everything I say would be consistent with sound doctrine. And as the seed of the word is planted and watered, we look to you to make it grow. And we reserve for you in advance the highest praise and full credit for all of the fruit that shall come from this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel. Chapter 9 is our text for the morning. There is a narrative there, and I want to read it in its entirety, beginning at verse 1, reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. The reading is this. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? 
Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now, he was lame in both his feet. Amen. I want to label the message, Surprised by Grace. Surprised by Grace. Psalm 15, verse 1, David asked, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Then the body of Psalm 15 answers these opening questions. In Psalm 15, David describes the character and conduct of a man whose life is pleasing to God. At the end of Psalm 15, verse 1, this man is described as one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's a God-pleasing person. He gives his word and he keeps it. She makes a promise and does it at whatever cost. In short, God-pleasing people are promise keepers. David teaches us this in Psalm 15. David exemplifies this in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 is a part of what is called the secession narrative of David. It is a detailed account of Israel's transition from 
Saul's rule to the establishment of David's reign as king of Israel. By the time you get to 2 Samuel chapter 9, David has won great military victories, and he is now enjoying a season of peace and power and prosperity. And it is during this season of David's life that he showed kindness to a crippled man named Mephibosheth. Friends, there are two seasons in a man's life that test and reveal his character. Seasons of adversity and seasons of prosperity. Here we see that David was a man after God's own heart as he shows kindness to an unworthy crippled man at the height of his political and military strength. This record of David's kindness to Mephibosheth is an illustration of the kindness that God shows to unworthy people like you and me. Stephen Jones comments that just like an x-ray passes through the body and gives the doctor an accurate picture of the heart, so it is that the actions of David reveal the heart of God. And in David's kindness to Mephibosheth, we have an x-ray of the heart of God toward us. This text is a historical account, but it reads like a parable that illustrates the truth, friends, that the grace of God is a wonderful surprise of amazing grace that is too good not to be true. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey writes of a friend who overheard a conversation on a bus one day. A woman was reading and a man next to her asked what she was reading. It was M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. He asked her, was it a good book? She admitted she was only at the beginning and so answered his question by reading the chapter titles in the table of contents. When she read the section title called Grace, the man interrupted her and asked, what's that section about? The woman replied by saying, I haven't gotten that far into the book yet. And the same is true of the Bible, friends. I don't care how much Bible you think you know. You have not gotten far into the Scriptures if you don't know what grace is all about. Without oversimplifying this massive library of 66 books of divine truth and wisdom, I declare to you that the Bible really is simply about the glory of the grace of God. The Bible is littered with grace from beginning to end, and it is not boring grace. It's a wonderful surprise of amazing grace. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, God did not immediately strike them down. 
but God did make coats of skin to cover the shame of their nakedness, that surprising grace. And from there going forward, we keep seeing the surprising grace of God toward unworthy people. Ultimately, the greatest expression of surprising grace is the virgin birth, righteous life, atoning death, and physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, in David's kindness to Mephibosheth, we have an illustration of the grace of God that seeks us and welcomes us and enriches us. Three lessons here about the grace of God seen in David's kindness to Mephibosheth. First, consider that the grace of God reaches out to the lost. The grace of God reaches out to the lost. 2 Samuel chapter 8 describes David as being at a point of his life where he did not need anything. But 2 Samuel chapter 9 tells us that the man who did not need anything was looking for something. Verse 1, David inquires, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Drop down to verse 3, David says to Ziba, Saul's servant, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Notice how David speaks in verse 3. He wants to show to someone of Saul's descendants the kindness of of God. David wanted to imitate God by showing kindness because God is a kind sovereign who seeks and searches for someone to be gracious to. Friends, this is how we are saved, not because you were looking for God, but God was looking for you. Romans 3, verses 10 and 11 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. Unrighteous people do not seek God. Every sinner does what the first sinners did. Adam and Eve were not looking for God. They were trying to hide from God. And every unconverted sinner is a guilty fugitive on the run from divine justice. And we are only saved by the personal missionary work of a gracious God. Some years ago, an entire police force hunted down a car thief who had stolen an old, beat-up Volkswagen bug. Why such manpower for a beat-up car? When reporting is stolen, the owner also reported that in the front seat, there was a box of crackers he had laced with poison to kill rats in his house. 
So the entire police force was hunting down the car thief, not to lock him up, but to save his life. And this is how the grace of God works. Luke 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The grace of God reaches out to the lost. God reaches out to us because of who He is. Nothing forced David to show kindness to Mephibosheth. No one coerced him to do it. It was something within him that caused him to reach out and show kindness. Likewise, friends, God does not owe us anything. More specifically, God only owes us divine justice, holy wrath, and eternal condemnation. But this is why grace is such a wonderful surprise. God, we're only here because God did not give us what we deserve. Instead of judgment, wrath, and condemnation, God has reached out to us with sparing mercy, saving grace, and steadfast love. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. God reaches out to us because of who He is. Likewise, God reaches out to us because of another. Verse 1, David said, is there anyone still left out of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David and Jonathan were best friends. In fact, there's no better picture of true friendship in Scripture than the relationship between David and Jonathan. King Saul ruled over Israel. God fired him and would replace him with David. Jonathan was Saul's son, but he recognized that God had fired his father and that he would not be heir to the throne. God had anointed David, and his heart was filled with loving friendship toward David, so much so that he protected David from his father's wrath and helped David ascend to the throne. In 1 Samuel chapters 18 and 20, David made a covenant with his friend Jonathan that after Jonathan's death, David would use his power to care for Jonathan's descendants. And now that David has secured the throne, his godly heart determines to keep his word to Jonathan. And so he says, is there anybody out of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Listen to him, for Jonathan's sake. This is how grace works. David was kind to Mephibosheth for the sake of another. His name was Jonathan. And God is kind to us for the sake of another. His name is Jesus. 
In the movie, The Last Emperor, the child king, who is the last ruler of the Chinese empire, lives a life of magical luxury with thousand servants at his beck and call. On one occasion, his brother asked him, what happens when you do wrong? To which the boy replies that when I do something wrong, one of the servants gets punished. And to illustrate, he breaks a jar and a servant is beaten. But in Jesus... The pattern is reversed. In Jesus, when the servants messed up, the king got punished. That's what Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 means when it says, He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says it this way, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. God reaches out to us. Because of who he is, God reaches out to us for the sake of another, and God reaches out to us in spite of us. Verse 3, David says, is there anybody out of Saul's house that I can show the kindness of God to? He says this to a man named Ziba. Ziba was Saul's servant who was left to administrate Saul's estate after Saul's death. In verse 3, Ziba replies by saying to David, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. When asked for a descendant of the house of Saul, Ziba mentions Mephibosheth even though he could have mentioned other descendants of Saul. But the key thing to note in verse 3, do you see here that he does not mention Mephibosheth by name? He identifies him by his condition. He is crippled in his feet. 2 Samuel chapter 4 verse 4 tells us how that happened. Saul and Jonathan died in battle. And when the news got to the royal family, they fled. Mephibosheth was five years old, and he was being carried by his nurse. But as they ran in panic, the nurse dropped him, and his feet were permanently injured. And this is how Ziba identifies Mephibosheth, not by his name, but by his condition. He is saying to David that This crippled man is not worth your time. He's got lame feet. He can't do anything to help you. He can't do anything to hurt you. But notice in verse 4, in spite of that, David says, where is he? Ziba tells him. He's at Maker, the son of Amiel's house. Maker's house is in a town called Lodabar. Lodabar means... No pasture. We don't know much about Lodabar, but the name indicates that it was a barren, fruitless, terrible place. That's Mephibosheth's life. 
He's a crippled man from a doomed dynasty that lives in a horrible place. But verse 5 says, David sent and brought him from Lodabar and brought him to Jerusalem. You all are quiet on this because I think you missed the point. Oh, this ain't about Mephibosheth. This is about you. This is about me. Listen, we are all crippled people. We all have lame feet. I don't care what city you came from, we all come from Lodabar. There is nothing in us or about us that would make God choose us. But in spite of us, is that good news to anybody here? The grace of God has reached out to us. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that when you get saved, you have nothing to boast about. God gets all the glory. The grace of God reaches out to the lost. But secondly, would you note with me that the grace of God welcomes in the enemy. Now, I want you to picture this. There is Mephibosheth in a, a maker's house in Lodabar. There's a knock on the door. Someone answers. And on the outside, it's soldiers from the royal army. Mephibosheth's life flashes before his eyes. He knows how this works. When the new king takes the throne, he kills all the family of the old king so that there will not be a later revolt, rebellion, or any kind of trouble later on. Mephibosheth comes into the presence of the king like a cornered animal, but David greets him like a long-lost friend. And again, in so doing, David illustrates two facts about the grace of God. What is grace all about? Two truths in this story illustrate divine grace. First of all, grace means you do not have to be afraid of God's wrath. You don't have to be a afraid of God's wrath. Imagine the sense of terror that must have come over Mephibosheth as he entered into the presence of King David. He expected that he would be brutally tortured and executed, and there would be nothing he could do about it. But David says, do not fear, I will show you kindness. David's kindness removed Mephibosheth's Fear and the grace of God works the same way for us. If you are in Christ Jesus, friend, you can confidently sing Psalm 27, verse 1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom 
shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? President Thomas Jefferson was riding horseback cross country with a company of people. They, they reached a small ford river. There was a wayfarer at the edge. He asked President Johnson to ride him on his horse to the other side. When they got to the other side and the company prepared to go on, one of them asked the fella, what made you select the president to ask to ride you over on his horse? The man said, president? I didn't know that was the president. All I know is that as you passed by, some faces said no and some faces said yes. I asked him because he had a yes face. This, friends, is a good definition of grace. Grace is the smiling face of God. Grace means you don't have to be afraid of wrath and judgment and condemnation. In John 10, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says about those who believe in him, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hands. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If you are in Jesus, friend, you don't have to be afraid of death, hell, and the grave. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning. On the everlasting arms, I have perfect peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Grace means you do not have to be afraid of God's wrath. Let me say something even more scandalous. Grace means you don't have to be ashamed of your weakness. David sent for Mephibosheth. He returned all of Saul's riches to Mephibosheth. He not only did that, he promised to show continued kindness to Mephibosheth. He even guaranteed Mephibosheth a permanent place at his own royal table. This overwhelming kindness made Mephibosheth suspicious. And in verse 8, the Bible says he paid homage to David. It just means he fell on his face before David and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog as I? One of the worst things you could call a person was a dog. And for a man to call himself a dog was the height of self-deprecation indicating Humble submission to one who had superior authority. But look at the verse. In verse 8, Mephibosheth doesn't just call himself a dog. He calls himself a dead dog. 
That's how he viewed himself. A nobody, less than nothing. Worse than the worst. Lower than rock bottom. Watch me. That's how Mephibosheth saw himself, but that's not how David saw Mephibosheth, and that's not how God sees you. There is a sociological idea called the theory of the looking glass self, and the theory of the looking glass self simply means we have a way of viewing ourselves on the basis of other people's opinion of us. This is why many have a perverted view of life. We, we see ourselves through the lens of other people's perception of us, and we allow that to shape our self-concept. But grace bids us to look at ourselves through the lens of divine acceptance. That's what faith is. Faith is acceptance of God's acceptance of you. Faith is simply trusting that God loves you. And listen, if God, I want to help somebody here. If God looks at you through the eyes of grace, why are you preoccupied with what other people think about you? Why are you flipped out about what people are saying about you? If God, let, let, let me tell you something. God knows who you are. He knows how crippled you are. And he knows that you live in Lodabar. But God loves you anyway. Listen to me. Listen. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he loves you right now. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less than he does right now. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39 says, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor rulers, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So, listen to me. The story tells us that the grace of God reaches out to the lost. The grace of God welcomes in the enemy, and the grace of God lifts up the fallen. Verses 6 through 8 records David's conversation with Mephibosheth. The better part is verses 9 through 11 that records David's conversation with Ziba about Mephibosheth. I love this part. At some point, David stops talking. He's trying to bless Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's can't see nothing but a dead dog. So, at a certain point, he stops talking to Mephibosheth and talks to Ziba about Mephibosheth in front of Mephibosheth. 
He's like, if you don't believe I'm a good king, listen to this. He called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson, Mephibosheth. You and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and bring in produce that your master's grandson, Mephibosheth, may have bread to eat. But he's not going to have to worry about bread because Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always going to have a place at my table. Y'all not in here with me. How much land did he give them? Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. They were all going to work Mephibosheth's new land. Verse 11, Ziba says, according to all that the Lord, the king commands the servants, I'm going to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like he was one of the king's own sons. This is how grace lifts up the fallen. First of all, God's grace gives undeserved riches. This is what God did for Mephibosheth. He restored all of Saul and Jonathan's wealth to Mephibosheth. And note that he did not have to do that to keep his vow to Jonathan. Take care of my descendants. All he needed to do to keep that vow was to establish some special royal welfare program to make sure Mephibosheth had something to eat, and he could have kept all the land for himself. But instead, he gave all the land to Mephibosheth, so much so that it would take at least 35 people, Ziba's 15 sons and 20 servants, to care for the land. With one royal decree, hear me, Mephibosheth went from being a crippled man in a borrowed house in a horrible place to being the owner of a royal estate. And this is how grace works. Listen, grace enriches us. Do you know there's a lot of poor people that got a whole lot of money? But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. Or what in the world can a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 19, verse 26. But if you are in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter what you don't have. You are rich. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus how that for our sakes he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God's grace gives undeserved riches. But also, God's grace gives unconditional favor. If you're taking notes, jot down that four times in this story, verse 7, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 13, four times the narrator tells us that 
Mephibosheth was given by David a permanent place at the king's table. Think about that. Can you imagine King David sitting down to eat? The king is hungry, but he looks across the table and says, wait, wait, don't serve yet. I can't eat till Mephibosheth gets here. Y'all not listening to me. This was not a subtle form of house arrest to keep an eye on Mephibosheth. And it wasn't about food. He had given this man so much land that it would take 35 people to care for it. This was not about food. It was about favor. Verse 11 makes this clear. That Mephibosheth sat at David's table to eat as if he was one of the king's sons. Listen, David adopted Mephibosheth. He was not just a guest at the royal table. He was a member of the royal family. Look at the last verse of the chapter. Mephibosheth had all this land, but he didn't live on the land. He lived in Jerusalem. Why did he live in Jerusalem? Because he always ate at the king's table. It's as if David wouldn't eat unless Mephibosheth was there. One more line. It's the last line. You, you got to see that. Now, he was lame in both his feet. He was weak. He was lame. He was crippled. But all of his weakness was hidden under the king's table. This is what it means to be saved. It means grace has got you covered. You're not here because you've been so good. You're not here because you've been so holy. You're not here because you've been so just. You're not here because you've been so righteous. You're not here because you've been so godly. The only reason old crippled you and me have made it this far is because grace has got you covered. Some of us know what it means to be Mephibosheth. Some people busy claiming, complaining that is that things are so bad in their life, but there's some of us that look around and know that you got it better than you deserve. You just look around you. You might not like everything around you, but you know you got it better than you deserve. And you know that you are too crippled to get to where you are. The only reason you are are where you are is because grace has covered you. Romans 5 and 20 says the law was given so that the, in, that the transgression may increase. But watch this. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. I want to say that to somebody here who feels like you are too far from God for grace to restore you. The Bible says, no matter how great your sin, 
Your sin is never so big that grace is not able to cover. The bigger the sin, the greater the grace of God in Jesus to cover your sin. That's what Andre Crouch was singing about concerning the blood of Jesus. He says it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. God's grace gives undeserved riches. God's grace gives unconditional favor. But also, God's grace gives unending security. I'm finished with chapter 9 here. But Mephibosheth is only mentioned in two other passages. I want you to see them quickly as I close. He's seen in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, where we see that grace gives unending security. 2 Samuel 21, 1 through 7, there's a three-year famine that hits the land year after year. David, a man after God's own heart, prays and asks God, Why is God striking the land with a famine? God reveals that this is punishment for Saul's sin. Israel had made a treaty with the Gibeonites when they took the promised land of Canaan. But in patriotic zeal, Saul broke the peace treaty and killed the Gibeonites. And because this was an unjust war, God later sent judgment. This is a whole sermon by itself. But the next generation had to suffer because of Saul's sin. And when David found out from the Lord what was going on, he called the Gibeonites and met with them. He's a stand-up man. And he says, what can we do so that you can appeal to the Lord on our behalf? They said, we don't want money. We don't want silver and gold. We, we don't even want to kill any of the people of Israel. But we do. Saul killed our descendants. Give us seven descendants of Saul for us to hang before the Lord. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 21, That the king said, I will give them, verse 6. But verse 7 says, the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. He handed over all of Saul's descendants, but grace had Mephibosheth covered. (laughs) Do you hear me? This is, this is what grace means. When God grips you by His grace, He'll never let you go. Family was preparing to adopt a troubled teenager. During the process, she did something to break the family's heart. The family told the father we should end the process. He refused. They pressed him. Why are you going on with this? After all, you know she's not really your daughter. The father said, I know, but I told her she was, and I'm not going back on my word. Uh, How many times do we give God good reason to change his mind about us? But by grace, he has gripped us, and he will never let us go. 
So how then should we respond? How then should we respond to the grace and goodness and generosity of God? One more Mephibosheth story. This one is in chapter 19, verses 24 through 30. The Bible says that Saul, or rather David, faced an uprising against his throne from none other than his own son, Absalom. The attack was so great that David had to flee in exile away from his beloved city of Jerusalem. Ultimately, David prevailed. Absalom was killed in battle. David was finally able to return to Jerusalem. But when he returned, he needed to talk to some people, namely Mephibosheth. When David fled, all his people fled with him except Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth stayed in Jerusalem. And Ziba apparently had told David that Mephibosheth stayed in town because he had switched allegiances and had joined the revolt. But when David returned to the city, there was Mephibosheth waiting to talk to him. The Bible says that he had not taken care of his feet, he had not shaven, he had not bathed since David had left. And he had a whole different story. He hadn't switched sides. He said, my servant tricked me. He said he was going to try out a horse for us to leave, and he just left me. That's what he told him. He's crippled. He had no other way of escape. And he said, why would I do this to you? I had nothing, and you gave me everything. David said, you don't have to say anymore. I'll tell you what I'll do. David didn't really know whose story to believe, so he says, what I'll do is I'll split Saul's estate between Ziba and Mephibosheth equally. But in 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 30, and I'm through, Mephibosheth responded by saying, Lord, let Ziba have it all. I'm just happy that my Lord, the king, made it home safely. Wait, wait, wait. Let him have all the land, David. I don't want the land. I want you. Well, well, you missed it. That boy had crippled feet, but he had a sharp mind. He says, the only reason I have anything is because you've been good to me. And I'm not going to hold on the stuff and lose you. Let him have all the stuff. The one that took care of me yesterday will take care of me tomorrow. I don't need money. I just need you. And I'm talking to somebody here. The Lord has been so good to you. You ought to be like Mephibosheth and say, Lord, you can take everything that I have as long as I got you. 
You took care of me yesterday. I wish I had a witness here. And whatever tomorrow will bring, you will take care of me. Won't he do it? Won't he keep taking care of you when you lose your job? Won't he keep taking care of you when your family fall apart? Won't he keep taking care of you when friends betray you? So, so don't worry about what you lose. In fact, you just need to start handing over stuff to God. Just when you wake up in the morning and pray, Lord, this your car, Lord, this your house, Lord, this your family, Lord, this is your, Lord, you can have it all, just give me you. I can hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Finding me, thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but he washed him. Why that snow? Listen to me. If you give him your all, when you wake up in the morning, he'll surprise you with fresh grace. Praise God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For contact information, ministry updates, as well as our live Sunday morning broadcast, please visit us online at shallow.church. Thanks again for listening. Have a blessed day.